Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. As we wrap up the week and get ready to head into the big holiday weekend, last big summer holiday for 2020, where's the time gone? It'll be a time, uh, a different time, a different kind of a holiday for many because of COVID-19, although some I know are still planning to travel. We urge you to be careful wherever you are, be safe, and hope you have a good holiday weekend. Thanks for joining us today. We appreciate you letting us be part of your day. We're going to talk about the ag economy here at Labor Day with Scott Irwin, University of Illinois ag economist. We're also going to take a look at the uh, huge demand, the need out there to feed people, and we're going to talk with uh, the Vice President of Government Relations for Feeding America about uh, this huge demand, the food insecure in this country, the needs that are out there, and how you can help. That will be coming up on today's program. Then I'll have some thoughts on uh, travel as well as we go into the holiday weekend. And I made a trip this week, first business trip in a long, long time. And I'll have some thoughts on that as we head into the holiday weekend a little later. But we're going to start things off. We're going to talk some trade issues with Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation. And Dave, we thank you for joining us. Uh, the Trump administration this week released a, a plan to address complaints by southeastern U.S. fruit and vegetable growers that Mexican produce is flooding the market at an unfair price. And uh, this plan involves the Office of the U.S. Trade Rep, the Commerce Department, as well as USDA. There are some other areas of our agriculture industry, such as dairy, for instance, and some others that are afraid that uh, this could lead to some kind of retaliation from Mexico that could hurt their business with our neighbor to the south. Uh, what What's your thoughts on this situation? How serious is this dispute with Mexico? Well, I think it is uh, going to be a developing issue. It's been a serious issue for a while. We've had a, uh, if you look at the numbers, a pretty uh, substantial increase in seasonal imports from Mexico over the last many years. has put a, a lot of uh, price pressure on growers here in the U.S. And so what the plan does is it's several elements. For USTR, for the Trade Representative's Office, they're going to start uh, an investigation. They're going to basically send a petition to the International Trade Commission to look into blueberries. They're going to start with blueberries uh, under what's called the Section 201. And this will uh, take several months for the Trade Commission to investigate this. There will be the opportunity for a public hearing, and then they will refer any action they decide to take to the president. Uh, and then he has time to decide, which could be tariffs or quotas, some stuff like that. So, again, this will spool out over the next uh, several months. Uh, it hasn't started yet, but it uh, could be any day now that USTR initiates that. Um, and they're also going to look into what's been going on with strawberries, bell peppers, other seasonal produce, and uh, work with the industry and see if they recommend in the future any actions, again, such as a Section 201. So, they're looking to uh, put some uh, remedies uh, into this, some things that could be looked at that could uh, uh, potentially impact uh, those producers. Um, Department of Agriculture is going to uh, do outreach with growers, find out exactly what's happening even more than they got from the hearings, and uh, make sure growers understand the assistance programs, uh, put some more effort into promotion uh, for those seasonal products domestically, 
And the Department of Commerce is going to also assist growers with understanding the trade remedies and looking more into, again, what could happen there down the line. So it's a multi-pronged approach, uh, putting some attention to this issue, again, which has been going on for a while. As you noted, the, uh, there were some people, you know, cautioning this, what the impact might be from uh, Mexico looking at this. Um, those voices came out in the hearings. And I think uh, the administration is, uh, is mindful of that. They're trying to make this uh, more than just a southeastern issue, looking at issues that affect produce across the country. But uh, we'll watch this very closely and see how this develops. So it sounds like it'll take quite a while to resolve. Uh, was this not addressed in USMCA? This is an issue that really wasn't uh, part of USMCA. The idea of ways to address these uh, seasonal import surges was discussed in the negotiations, the so-called seasonality provision, uh, which would have allowed uh, growers to uh, be some changes in law that would have allowed them to more easily bring cases. At the end, that never went forward. Mexico was opposed to it, and uh, it didn't get into the final uh, document at all. So this is another way of, of addressing this issue, which has been in law. Uh, this is there's no new law here. Um, I'd say this is just uh, moving ahead with uh, tools that have always been available, uh, but now there's more attention to it. We're talking with Dave Salmonson, Senior Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dave, your thoughts on China. They're making uh, quite a few purchases, but it's been pointed out that they're still well behind the uh, the levels called for in phase one remains to be seen if they'll get there or how close they will get what are your thoughts on it yeah we've seen some numbers that just came out this week our uh, exports to china from january through july of this year are right about 7.7 plus uh, billion um certainly a long way from uh, the end of the year goal according to the phase one agreement which was up around 35 36 billion course his numbers yet uh, we've had a lot of uh, data come out and, and the USDA reports that come out that uh, there's China has stepped up purchases corn sorghum soybeans um, that have been basically in August that's not reflected in the data yet so if you added those in roughly we'd probably be around 10 billion or so um, again they've stepped up their purchases as we've said there would be more buying in the fall uh, we're starting to see that and, uh, of course, everybody, you know, when you get a target number, you look to see how close you get to the target. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see how, uh, how we end stack up at the end of the year, uh, how close we've gotten to the goal on that. And remember, of course, this was a two-year goal. I mean, it's divided, obviously, but building for a two-year goal of upwards of uh, close to $80 billion over two years of ag purchases by China. So we always keep thinking. As they implement the new standards, as they diversify what they buy from the U.S., as our beef and pork and other products have an easier go into there, essentially as some of the tariff impacts start to recede over time, uh, we'll see them buy more from the U.S. So uh, still watching this very closely, um, but we're, they're engaging in a normal fall buying pattern uh, as we're going into our harvest time, so we can expect larger purchases over the next couple of months. So we'll watch and see, and just how close will they get to those phase one commitments? I think a lot of people felt all along they wouldn't probably get all the way there. It's just how close will they get, and then uh, 
guess different people will view that in different ways. Dave, thanks a lot for the update. We appreciate it. Have a good weekend. Okay, you too. Take care. Dave Salmonson, Senior Director, Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. All right, so as we go into the Labor Day weekend, where do we stand with the ag economy? And uh, what are some thoughts as we head into harvest time and into the fall, still dealing with COVID-19? We'll talk about all that with Scott Irwin, University of Illinois Ag Economist, coming up next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. You don't take a winter break. Unfortunately, neither do insects or diseases. Trust BASF Cereal Seed Treatments to protect your winter wheat this season. This team of products provides a base of broad-spectrum disease control with Stamina F4 Cereals Fungicide Seed Treatment, an added performance boost with new Relania Seed Treatment, and rounded out with Poncho XC Seed Treatment Pest Protection. To learn more, contact your BASF rep or local retailer. BASF, we create chemistry. Always read and follow label directions. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Shirley Bloomfield, CEO of NTCA, the Rural Broadband Association. And Shirley, you have talked about the importance of getting broadband out throughout rural America. Where do we stand with that now, with those efforts to get broadband out there in places that do not have it now? We've been making progress, but honestly, if you are somebody listening to your show today who doesn't have good connectivity, they're probably shaking their head and saying it's not going to come soon enough because you aptly pointed out that if there's anything the pandemic has shown is that how much we rely on this connectivity and how much how much such a big part of our economy and the ag economy um, depends on it and the ability of the agriculture industry to actually move forward in a really interesting way using um, artificial intelligence, using data. So that was a really long way of saying there's some policies in place that have really kind of put their foot on the gas. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Peak performance at harvest is a necessity. It's our expertise. Producers who look to have a successful harvest turn to FS. Our grain systems experts reduce downtime by offering the latest products, innovations, and knowledge to your grain operation. Whether you need a part in a hurry or advice on your equipment, we'll keep you running. At FS, we're always looking for ways to optimize your grain system and ensure during harvest your operation is ready for what's next. So visit FSSystem.com and let's get you headed towards your next success. FS, bringing you what's next. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 
855-4538 for your free author submission kit. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk things over with University of Illinois Ag Economist Scott Irwin. And Scott, thank you for joining us. Uh, why don't you get your thoughts on the ag economy? Here we are going into Labor Day. And I, I think back to March when things were really starting to, you know, the realization of what was hitting us with COVID was starting to, you know, impact our lives in a big way. But I think even at that point early on, probably a lot of us thought by Labor Day, this certainly should would should should be and would certainly be behind us but here we are at labor day and it's it's far from being behind us it's very much a part of our lives still and impacting us impacting about every aspect of our lives including agriculture uh here we are about to go into a harvest and uh, all this uncertainty still uh, uh, spikes and and testing and cases and all this what are your thoughts on where the ag economy is at right now as we head into this harvest season well, I guess the way I would answer that, Mike, is um, worse than we feared back in March when things were starting, but a lot better than things looked when we were kind of at the bottom of the lockdowns in April, May, early June. And so that that would be my summary. A lot of that has to do with massive uh, infusions of ad hoc federal aid into the ag sector. Yeah, we're seeing the numbers where ag income might actually be up, but it's because of the government payments. Exactly. The uh, estimate just released this week from the USDA uh, implies that about 40% of net farm income in 2020, the estimated net farm income for 2020 looks like it will come from uh, a variety of the farm program title payments and the various ad hoc payments that have uh, been given to ag as part of the COVID relief. And Secretary Purdue saying yesterday he'll be releasing rules for another round of CFAP, Coronavirus Food Assistance Program payments to farmers. Those uh, details will be coming out next week. So we're going to have more coming. Uh, right. And, then, you know, you know, basically uh, kind of with the turn in the weather and unfortunately due to the problems out in Iowa with the derecho and the winds and the damage, uh, and then you put on top of that the really feverish pace with which China is buying soybeans, uh, we're seeing uh, a, a bit brighter uh, of a market outlook right now for at least row crop ag. Let's talk about those China purchases. I just mentioned this in the last segment when talking with Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation. I mean, the good news is they've been making a lot of purchases here as of late, uh, I guess the bad news, if you want to look at it glass half empty, they're a long ways from meeting the commitments of the phase one trade deal. Exactly. You know, our data is lagged, the official data to track that. Um, you know, we started off so far behind in the first half of the year, 2020, you know, the 
it's always important to remember that the, the benchmark was a total of $17 billion of purchases. And even with this latest burst, it's not clear how far above that basic benchmark we're going to end up. So we're heading into harvest, and now the narrative has changed somewhat on this harvest from a huge crop to a very, very good crop. And we're kind of waiting to see what the actual numbers will be. We'll soon find out. Right. Uh, we have uh, big numbers coming up from the USDA's crop production report in September, and that, that will be really important uh, from a variety. That date's going to be really extra important because this report will get us back to uh, the uh, historical USDA methodology of both the objective yield survey and the farm operator survey. And don't forget that the FSA is going to release what I think is going to be potentially crucial uh, update of their acreage report on the same date. Mm-hmm. We're talking with the University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin. Scott, you watch the ethanol industry closely. It's an important market, obviously. They're at a real crossroads here. I mean, a lot of long-term factors here. Will even post-COVID-19, will the uh, there be as much driving, as much fuel demand as there was before? Um, you know, we got the SRE issue out there. We got the tariff situation now with Brazil. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. a lot happening, a lot hitting the ethanol industry right now. It definitely has a lot of headwinds. But what's really interesting about what's been going on, kind of, um, you know, uh, much, not much attention is paid to it, but the industry has recovered to at least small, modest profits in, uh, since about mid-May. Uh, so uh, the shutdown of part of the industry has allowed, say, the uh, remaining uh, 90 to 92, 93% of the uh, industry to at least make some small profits. And that's kind of lost in the conversation recently. Mm-hmm. Well, so almost everything right now seems to be seen through the uh, political lens as we head into this uh, this election. Uh, not asking you to pick one or the other. I'm just saying, how do you think the ag economy reacts one way or the other, depending on how this election turns out in November uh, do we have an idea of of how that uh, impacts which way the ag economy goes? You know, I think that it will. Uh, I think in the, the the first thing that I think about in that regard is uh, that probably is most worrisome to me from an economic standpoint is if we get a very close contested election results that could just really have negative macro economic impacts if we kind of get stuck and we can't decide who wins. Uh, That's my most concerning scenario. But assuming one way or the other happens conclusively, uh, you know, you'd probably have to be a little bit bearish uh, with a Biden presidency in the sense that uh, the Trump administration has certainly been willing to just send huge amounts of money the last couple of years uh, into the ag sector. Um, 
And just based on that alone, I'm just not sure that the Biden, Biden administration would be as willing to kind of fill in the gaps as the Trump administration has been. But on the other hand, with the election out of the way, I think there's some uncertainty of exactly how much attention ag would get with a new Trump administration. So it, it's really hard to tell. It is. And I think your 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 point about a, a clear cut result is is crucial because there are a lot of signs right now it might not be a clear cut or at least an acceptable one by whichever side would seem to be uh, uh, on the losing end. So this could really drag out a long time. And that is exactly the kind of uncertainty that the markets don't like. And, uh, you know, that that could lead on top of COVID and the trade issues, you know, we, we get a long protracted political stalemate. Uh, that's my most worrying scenario for ag and the markets in general right now. What are your thoughts on things like interest rates, inflation, things like that as we move into a new year? Boy, that's an excellent question, Mike. I've uh, been thinking about that actually a lot lately uh, because that's so crucial to thinking about the uh, financial situation of ag, where uh, farmland is uh, probably at least 80% of the assets in the sector, and interest rates, you know, are one of the two key variables that determine, you know, that asset value. Right now, a lot of people don't realize it, but farmland is valued despite the earnings problems uh, uh, relatively conservatively by the market because interest rates are so ridiculously low by historical standards. So that's one to really, really watch as we you know, move through the election and whoever is uh, in the new administration and what the Federal Reserve policies will be. Do we see from all of this COVID money events at some point a, an uptick in inflation? And that's the real scenario longer term that I think we have to really pay attention to because this sector is vulnerable in the asset side of the balance sheet to a major uptick in interest rates. All right, Scott, always good to talk with you. Thank you very much. Have a good, safe weekend. We'll be in touch again soon. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. University of Illinois Ag Economist Scott Irwin. Up next... A look at the demand, the need out there for food. We're going to talk with Kerry Calvert, Vice President, Government Relations with Feeding America. That's next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. You don't take a winter break. Unfortunately, neither do insects or diseases. Trust BASF Cereal Seed Treatments to protect your winter wheat this season. This team of products provides a base of broad-spectrum disease control with Stamina F4 Cereals Fungicide Seed Treatment, an added performance boost with new Relania Seed Treatment, and rounded out with Poncho XC Seed Treatment Pest Protection. To learn more, contact your BASF rep or local retailer. BASF, we create chemistry. Always read and follow label directions. Wearing a seatbelt while driving or riding in a vehicle can greatly reduce the risk of injury or death. Sadly, half of all roadway fatalities are unbuckled drivers and passengers. 
People who aren't buckled endanger not only themselves, but others in the vehicle as well. Everyone riding in vehicles should be properly restrained to increase the likelihood of survival. Drivers should make sure that all occupants of the vehicle, including themselves, are buckled up. Drive safe. Save lives. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Cattle prices facing some headwinds from slow demand, according to the Wire Talk on this Friday, even as the economy recovers from the depths of the COVID-19 pandemic. Lean hog prices rising 4.8% yesterday to a level not seen since May. Livestock prices have been running in opposite directions this week, as some traders consider the U.S. hog herd to be getting back to normal levels, while cattle remain in oversupply. Today's cattle slaughter estimated at 118,000 head, steady with a week ago. Hog slaughter, 472,000 head, down from 480,000 head a week ago. Private exporters reporting to USDA export sales of 175,000 metric tons of soybean meal for delivery to the Philippines. In soybean futures, we are trending a half to a penny and a fraction higher an hour into Friday's trading session, November up a penny and a half at 967 and a half. December corn up three and a half cents at 357 and a quarter. Chicago wheat, December down a penny and a quarter at 552. Kansas City, December a penny higher at 476 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat, December down a penny and three quarters at 545 and a half. For livestock at the Merck, we've got a narrow mix in live cattle futures. October down a nickel at 103.85 per hundred weight. December up two cents at 107.85. Feeder cattle October up two cents per hundred weight at 138.35. Lean hog futures October down 17 cents at 59.07. The Dow down 183 points. You're listening to AOA. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. The Home Service Club sponsors this paid advertisement. Attention homeowners. Broken AC, $4,600. Water heater, $1,500. Fridge on the fritz, 1000 bucks. You need home warranty coverage from the Home Service Club. For around a dollar a day, if any of your covered appliances and systems break down, HSC will either do the repair or replace them. HSC has over 15,000 pre-screened, highly rated technicians with the fastest response time in the industry. HSC provides coverage for up to 47 different appliances and systems in your home. Call for a free, no-obligation quote from a trusted HSC service specialist about a home warranty for your entire home, all backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. 800-434-5301 Call now and get your first month free, plus $75 off your first year. 800-434-5301 800-434-5301 That's 800-434-5301 Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. I want to talk about the increased demand facing food banks and feeding programs across the country. 
and how COVID-19 is uh, playing a part in this. We're joined now by Carrie Calvert, Vice President, Government Relations, Agricultural and, and Nutrition uh, Areas for Feeding America. Carrie, thank you so much for joining us. Um, this increased demand that food banks are facing, is it because of COVID-19 or are there other factors? Uh, well, first, thanks for having me on today. I'm really happy to be speaking with you and your listeners. And that's a great question. Uh, 37 million Americans were food insecure before COVID-19 hit in March. And uh, we are seeing and projecting um, an increase of food insecurity to 54 million Americans. Our food banks are reporting a 60% increase in need for food assistance from the neighbors they're serving compared to last time. So much of this we are attributing to COVID-19 and the economic disruptions that we've seen due to the pandemic. So people out of work, uh, in some places schools not open, all this has an impact on those numbers then? Absolutely. And you bring up a good point. You know, with schools closed, we not only see an impact on Americans that have been become unemployed due to COVID-19, but we also see an increased impact on those 37 million Americans that were already food insecure. You know, 22 million kids rely on nutritious food through, um, you know, the National School Lunch Program. So with food, with schools closed, it's that much harder for their families to make sure they have those, those lunches. So how are organizations like yours, Feeding America, uh, dealing with this the surge in in the food insecure so our food banks are really trying to identify um first uh you know how can we increase the amount of food we're distributing to people in need um our food banks have really risen to this challenge as well as many of our donor partners and they've been able to um you know in many cases double the amount of food that they're distributing into communities which is amazing uh, but we can't do it alone. Uh, and September is Hunger Action Month, so it's a great time to be telling your listeners more about how they can, can get involved and help our food banks meet this demand. Um, certainly, uh, donations of food, funds, or time, all of those things really help our food banks meet the demand. But, you know, we also need support from the general public and our elected officials to make sure that increases in food assistance are there to also help meet that demand. It's going to take all of our combined efforts to ensure that families have resources to feed themselves uh, until they can get back on their feet. We're talking with Carrie Calvert with Feeding America. So is COVID also impacting the amount of donations to groups like yours and to the number of people uh, willing to volunteer. I mean, are they concerned about, uh, you know, health? So they're not going out there. They're less apt to uh, go out and volunteer. Are you seeing any of that? Absolutely, we are. That's a great point, Mike. Uh, so many of our volunteers are um, seniors, and many of the food pantries that our food banks distribute food to are also run uh, by a lot of senior volunteers. And for you know public health reasons, they've been understandably concerned about volunteering. So we absolutely need more volunteers. Our food banks have implemented 
safe protocols to ensure that, um, you know, volunteers are kept safe as they're packing boxes to distribute in many states. Uh, governors have called up the National Guard to help food banks with additional food distributions. And, you know, when you see the news coverage and realize that many of these mass distributions uh, take a significant amount of staging and support personnel and time to execute, um, you know, the volunteer situation can be quite critical to our network. What about contributions? Are they up or down? Uh, monetary contributions, thankfully, have increased during this pandemic. I think uh, Americans are, are generous. They, they see a crisis and they want to help. And that uh, generous giving has really, uh, frankly, made a lot of what we've been able to do possible. But despite this increase in giving, it is still not enough to meet the demand that we're seeing and the projected demand. Um, you know, we also know that uh, giving overall to nonprofits across the country is going to be harder and harder to sustain as this crisis goes on. You know, 30 million people out of work, it's going to be hard for a lot of people. A lot of our former donors are now needing assistance from us. So we know it's going to be a challenge to ensure that we have enough resources to keep up this sustained um, need for increased food distributions over, over time. Uh, that's why, uh, in addition to increasing our food distributions, we've really been working with Congress to educate them on the impact that increased food assistance can have in terms of alleviating some of that demand for emergency food assistance that our food banks are seeing. The food box program through USDA, how much of an impact has that had? It's definitely been helpful. Um, for food banks that have been able to receive the boxes, you know, if there's a distributor uh, providing them in their area, it has been helpful. Uh, but it's still, we're still seeing a need for food assistance even beyond that increase. Uh, you know, we, we looked at the increase in people that are food insecure, and we looked at how much food we're able to distribute as, as a network of food banks, and we realized that we've got about a 10 billion meal gap per year. Um, you know, the food box program, as helpful as it's been, um, is just not enough to meet that projected uh, need. And it's also, you know, a temporary program meant to address um, some of the COVID-19 supply chain challenges you know, with restaurants closed, they're not buying as much from growers and producers. And, you know, we were all seeing in the news last April with the crops being plowed under and milk being dumped. The USDA really tried to, you know, address those um, supply chain issues and also redirect the food to communities that need it. Do you feel those supply chain issues have been, for the most part, resolved or are we still facing some challenges there? You know, I think we'll continue to see some challenges. Um, you know, if you just look at the National School Lunch Program and the amount of food that's normally purchased and distributed through that, and the you know significant amount of um, upheaval the nation's school and uncertainty the nation's schools will expect to see this school year, you'll realize that there's still going to be some supply chain disruptions. And I don't mean in terms of can people find what they need when they go to the grocery store, although certainly. In some areas, that can be an issue, and we've seen food prices go up, which is also a challenge. But, you know, 
those growers and producers that are selling food into the National School Lunch Program, if they're not just able to distribute as many lunches, then they're not going to have as many um, purchasers for their for their food as well. So I would expect as, you know, let's say the school system isn't distributing as many meals or restaurants aren't distributing as, or aren't selling as many meals, you'll continue to see those fluctuations. Carrie, how can people help? How can uh, people get involved in, in, in helping with this issue? So I would urge anyone uh, that wants to get involved, you can certainly go to feedingamerica.org and find out information about donating your time, volunteering, donating resources. You can find uh, where the food bank is near you. Um, you can also sign up to uh, learn more about how our federal government can help address food insecurity and advocate for solutions with us. We, we definitely need, need all the support we can get, and we believe that this is an issue that um, has room for everyone to get involved. And I'd also urge people to look around in their community and identify what organizations are working to meet people's needs and try to get involved locally if they can. Yeah, just thinking, having been involved with some feeding programs and observing them as well over the years, you know, so often we think about, well, you you do something one time to help and that's good, but the need continues each day. So that the, the need for help, contributions, volunteer efforts, things like that, that's a daily need, isn't it? It is a daily need. You're right. Um, and certainly we've seen... Um, you know, as we're entering into um, uh, month five or six of this pandemic, lost count at this point, uh, we're seeing this shift from an, a, an urgent emergency situation to a chronic emergency situation. So certainly um, making sure we have a continued uh, support from the community and a continued um, influx of volunteers and support is so important to this work because you're right it is not uh, a need just today is it a need? it is a need tomorrow and we know it will be you know we'll be seeing heightened need for the next um, likely six to 12 months as our nation tries to recover from this pandemic well I know there are just a lot of great efforts going on out there the food banks uh, organizations like yours feeding America a lot of people are very involved in these helping out and they need help to uh, help others. So we encourage everyone to work together and uh, not only be aware of this issue, but do what you can to help feeding people, especially through a, a time like this. But always, it's, the, the need is there. Carrie, thank you very much for being with us and giving us uh, an overview of the situation across the country and, and uh, efforts ongoing and how people can help. We thank you very much. Thank you so much for your support. Carrie Calvert. Vice President, Government Relations for Feeding America. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. I can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that. 
How'd you do that? I just got techie with Geeks On Site. Our geeks literally come on site. No need to stop what you're doing or block off time. We come to your home, office, or wherever you are. And we don't just fix whatever computer issues you might be having. We explain and teach you along the way so you can feel empowered and then help others at home or in your office. Better yet, don't have time for tech support to come to you? Let us remote into your desktop or laptop, and one of our geeks will instantly walk you through. We offer affordable prices on our remote services and IT support. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 866-967-3879. 866-967-3879. That's 866-967-3879. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to chill. First, keep the fridge at 40 degrees or below to keep bacteria from growing. Use an appliance thermometer to be sure things are cool. Then, chill leftovers and takeout foods within two hours and divide food into shallow containers for fast cooling. And always thaw meat, poultry, and seafood in the fridge, not on the counter, and never overstuff the fridge. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. You don't take a winter break. Unfortunately, neither do insects or diseases. Trust BASF Cereal Seed Treatments to protect your winter wheat this season. This team of products provides a base of broad-spectrum disease control with Stamina F4 Cereals Fungicide Seed Treatment, an added performance boost with new Relania Seed Treatment, and rounded out with Poncho XC Seed Treatment Pest Protection. To learn more, contact your BASF rep or local retailer. BASF. We create chemistry. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you. Cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. 
recently on Adams on Agriculture. Well, during COVID-19, we've been keeping up to date on the pork packing plant situation with Steve Meyer, economist with Kearns and Associates. Steve joins us again now for another update. Steve, how much of the backlog have we cut into now? Not much. I mean, matter of fact, it's grown. I don't know if it's grown since June 1st, Mike, because I kind of started recounting. If you all go, go all the way back to March, you don't know how far you we were off by the end of May. June Hogs and Pigs Report gave us a June 1 inventory, and so we can start from that point going forward and say if hogs were growing normally, how many would we slaughter? And the answer to that question is we would have slaughtered 1.3 million more than we had slaughtered. Now, just straight off the June Hogs and Pigs Report, we could get a backlog of almost 3 million head by the end of December. These pigs being destroyed will reduce that sum. We won't know that really until we kind of get there. We'll have another read on this when we get the September Hugs and Pigs Report. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, let's go over some of the comments by Secretary Purdue speaking in Iowa this week as he was touring crop damage. Um, He announced that rules for the next round of CFAP, the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program, those rules will be coming out next week. He said that CFAP 2 would be designed to address concerns among cattle producers that weren't compensated for post-April 15th losses due to COVID-19 pandemic. He said the payments would be designed to compensate farmers for losses incurred after April 15th through the end of the year. And he also said that uh, the payments would go to the same commodities eligible for the first round and confirmed there would be no payments for ethanol producers, textile mills, and other processors of ag commodities that are seeking aid. And Purdue said USDA would need additional authority from Congress to make those kinds of payments. So we'll be watching this. Uh, They're still sending out money from CFAP1. As we told you earlier in the week, they're just over $9 billion. So we'll be watching next week for these rules that will be released on CFAP 2 and keep you up to date on that. All right, so here we head into the uh, Labor Day holiday. And I mentioned this earlier, back in March, I think most of us thought we would surely be done with COVID-19 by now, past it, but certainly we are not. It's still a big part of our lives and impacting our lives. But yet, we're at a holiday weekend. Uh, Some of you will be traveling. uh, Some of you will not. But whatever you're doing and wherever you're at, we uh, hope that you will be safe and be careful and uh, have a good holiday weekend. Uh, For those traveling, uh, I had that experience this week. I did something this past week I hadn't done in six months. I went on on a business trip. I actually packed a bag and packed my broadcast equipment and drove uh, five hours to Boone, Iowa, and broadcast from the Farm Progress Show site. Six months ago, that would not have seemed like a big deal at all, but in our new COVID-restricted world, it seemed to me like it was a step back in time. Traveling to farm events, seeing old friends, and making new ones has been a big part of my 46 years of broadcasting. I must admit, though, that several times over those years, travel... The actual travel part of it had lost much of its appeal. 
But like many things that have been taken away from us during this pandemic, travel suddenly seemed like a a grand adventure again. It felt like I was getting something back that had been taken away from me. It, of course, wasn't exactly the same as it had been before COVID. I packed disinfectant spray and wipes, something I really didn't do before, wore a mask, and maintained as much social distancing as possible, parts of our, our lives these days. You know, the Farm Progress Show, like many other events this year, will be a virtual show. I've been covering the Farm Progress Show since 1976, and I have a lot of memories of past shows, but never did I expect to have one like this. On what would have been the opening day of this year's show, there were there were only a, a few people on the grounds instead of thousands, and field demos were taking place with only a small farmer panel on hand and cameras to record the equipment's performance. Now, those recordings will be available uh, in a few days for all to see, but it won't be quite the same. In some ways, it will actually, though, be better as viewers can pick the times they watch and probably see things they wouldn't have seen if they had actually been there. But what, of course, is missing, as is the case with so many things in our lives today, is the experience of actually being at an event and interacting face-to-face with others about the experience as it takes place. You know, I'm thankful we have the technology that we have to hold virtual events. I'd hate to think how isolated we would all feel without that technology so we could have Zoom meetings and, and different things like that. But still, it's not quite the same. My little trip to Iowa this week helped remind me of things that I had taken for granted and how much I missed them. Seeing friends, uh, being able to travel about and get caught up with people once again. Hopefully this pandemic will be over soon. And while our lives may never be completely like they used to be, perhaps in some ways they will even be better. Because one of those ways where they could be better, I think, would be to have a greater appreciation for things that we used to take for granted. And all of us hopefully will try to not let that happen again, not get to the point where we take these things for granted that are that are so important. So as you get ready to celebrate your last summer holiday for 2020, however you're going to do it and with, ever, with whoever you're going to be doing it with, please be careful. Take the precautions, all the precautions you can, and enjoy the holiday and certainly be safe. It won't be the same but you make it the best you can. Kind of the new reality that we are living in. And again, I think back to March when who would have thought we'd still be doing this come Labor Day? You know, you go through Easter and Memorial Day and the 4th of July, and now here we are and uh, at Labor Day. What a year 2020 has been. I've heard a lot of people say, can't wait till next year. But I remember saying that in, in 2019 because of the challenges and issues of that at that time which now seem almost small compared to COVID-19 but uh, each year has its challenges and we look forward to not only next year but making the most and the best of what we can right now I hope you'll do that this holiday weekend be safe and be careful and be sure to join us uh, on Monday we'll have a holiday program for you on Monday Uh, we are going to go back and go over some of the information we've covered recently like the challenges uh, of getting 
broadband to rural America, how our rural health care system is uh, is handling uh, COVID-19 as we continue on uh, uh, all this time and all the ups and downs and, and positive cases and testing and things like that. We'll get an update on that. And um, also talk about a, a new program from the pork producers uh, called Real Pork. Some of you may be enjoying some pork on the grill maybe this weekend, too. So we'll talk about that. So we will have a, a Labor Day show for you on Monday and hope you'll tune in for that. And, of course, uh, back with you again on Tuesday as well. Thanks for being with us as we wrap up another day and another week. Take care, everyone. Have a great and safe holiday weekend. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.